With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Happy Friday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is March the 1st, 2019, and it is Friday, and I thank you so much for joining me. Uh, We've left February behind, spring hopefully not too far away, but certainly lots of wintry weather remains, uh, especially here in the Northeast, New York, that part of the country, but I know throughout America the winter is still very much uh, in effect. In, in spite of uh, global warming. I just had to make that point. And uh, I may have a couple of comments about climate change a bit later on, but there's so much to get to. Uh, but I want to, first of all, thank you for joining me. You know, I've been at this for quite some time, ever since the terror attacks of 9-11. I've been truly a man on a mission trying to wake up as many of our fellow Americans, irrespective of political affiliations, And as many of our supposed political leaders, and boy, there's an oxymoron, again, irrespective of political affiliations, because America is at war. Lives of Americans hang in the balance. Um, Thousands, tens of thousands of lives lost every year to opiate overdoses, uh, more lives lost to gang violence, to crimes committed by those addicted to drugs, desperate to get the money so they could buy the drugs that they need to satisfy their insatiable appetites for these toxins that they've managed to get themselves addicted to for a bunch of reasons. We also face the threat of terrorism. We also face our adversaries of China and Iran and Russia. Uh, This is anything but a time of peace. It is a simmering cauldron, and the attacks are coming at us from multiple directions. And, you know, in the Wild West, when the wagon trains heading west were under attack, it was common sense, and we even use the term today, to circle the wagons, to create a secure perimeter so that those under attack could be kept safe from arrows, gunfire, whatever it was that was coming their way. This is common sense. We borders have enabled terrorists and criminals, narcotics and fugitives and competing workers and aliens with dangerous diseases to gain access to our country, costing lives, costing jobs, costing wages, um, really putting America in peril. And that's not a statement of xenophobia. As an immigration agent, I I arrested aliens from all over the world. They didn't care about their race, their religion, their ethnicity. What I cared about was whether or not they were violating our immigration laws. And those laws have nothing to do with race, religion, or ethnicity. It's about keeping out aliens with dangerous communicable diseases, aliens who are mentally ill. Let's remember, we hear so much from the open borders, immigration anarchists about Ellis Island. Well, Ellis Island was a quarantine station. At the time of its completion, um, more or less about 100 years ago, it was the biggest hospital complex in the entire United States of America. So first and foremost. Our laws are also supposed to keep out criminals and spies and terrorists human rights violators, war criminals, fugitives from justice. And then we get to aliens who would likely become a public charge or if they work would displace Americans. Who could disagree with laws that were enacted by our own government to achieve some very important and very common sense goals? But the loons in politics, the crazies, the crooks, the immoral, Both parties, not one, both parties got us into this mess. 
And I would argue that you'd have to go back perhaps to Eisenhower or JFK to find a president who understood that our borders needed to be made secure and sovereign, sovereign until Donald Trump. And look at the hell he's going through for daring to do what's right. But in some ways, his use of language or misuse of language has created some of his biggest headaches. But we really know what's behind all the attacks. It's the globalists who can't tolerate the notion that America should be able to control its destiny by controlling its borders. And what do I mean by its destiny? To make certain that Americans get first crack at the jobs. And if you look at what is going on in America's minority communities, um, you have illegal aliens displacing people, American people living in poverty. And instead of saying, let's get Americans working, all we keep hearing from the Chamber of Commerce and immigration lawyers from both sides of the aisle and various religious groups, the, lo- the list is long and infamous because it's about money. All we hear is that Americans are too lazy and Americans are too stupid and Americans are too incompetent and Americans are too incapable. And no one says a word. We accept it. We accept it. If you use the word immigrant and said immigrants were lazy and immigrants were stupid and immigrants were incompetent, you'd probably have people marching on your house in the middle of the night with torches and pitchforks. But when you say Americans are stupid and incompetent and lazy, that's okay. That's just another day in the United States of America brought to you by self-hating Americans. We really have to push back. And I wrote an article for Newsmax uh, that I think you really should read. I think you should read all the stuff I write, but then that's my opinion for whatever it's worth. But what I had written was that the truth about immigration can unite all Americans. We've been spoon-fed lies and propaganda, not out of political correctness, but this is Orwellian. The idea is that you alter thoughts by altering language. If you can alter the language, you can control the thoughts of the people, and that's what's been happening. When Jimmy Carter, over, gosh, hard to believe, 40 years ago, said we're going to get rid of the word alien and use the word immigrant, over time, the entire debate, the whole climate changed. Now the claim is if you want to keep anybody out, including terrorists and criminals and child molesters, you're anti-immigrant. Forget about maybe demonstrating common sense maybe showing compassion for Americans. I mean, how many people have been attacked for wearing a hat that says, make America great again? How could you argue with the slogan that says, let's make sure that America and therefore Americans are doing better? Boy, there's a reason to go to war with somebody, isn't it? And if you want to talk about going to war, let's talk about the war on drugs. Before we go further, I have to make note, and this is a tough one for me personally, that yesterday, February 28th, was the 30th anniversary of the slaughter of a close friend of mine, a DEA agent by the name of Everett Hatcher. He worked out of the New York field office of the DEA. Uh, On the day that he was killed, I met him. He was sitting at my desk. I had a desk at the Unified Intelligence Division of DEA. Hatcher and I had known each other for well over a dozen years. He was assigned to an FBI squad. And his, eight, his partner at the FBI is an old friend of mine. In fact, I was on the phone with, uh, with my buddy yesterday from former FBI. He's now retired as I'm retired from the INS. They used to call us the Three Musketeers or Mo, Larry, and Curly, you name it. We were called it because Hatch, uh, my friend from the FBI, and myself frequently, at least once or twice a week, went out to lunch. And Hatch became a very good friend. I, I met him initially because he had lived next door to one of my very first partners at the INS. They lived in an apartment house here in in, in Brooklyn. And, uh, you know, sometimes you meet people and you hit it right off. I I remember having lunch with Hatch on the Friday before he was killed, and he had suggested that I bring my son. I was a single parent. My first wife had died just three years earlier. He said, Mike, why don't you bring your son out to New Jersey and, and, and we'll have him play with my two boys. That was what Hatch told me. That was the Friday before he was killed. And on February 28, 1989, I came to work, and there's Hatch sitting at my desk, bigger than life, with his feet up on my desk. And I said to him, what are you doing here? And he started laughing, and he had a great sense of humor. He was was just a tremendous guy. He was 
just an amazing friend, amazing agent, amazing father to his kids, amazing husband for his wife, Mary Jane. And I said, what in the world are you doing sitting at my desk? And of all the things he could have said to me, Hatch asked me, Mike, how would you like to trade jobs? How would I like to trade jobs? Wow. So we chatted for about five minutes, and he said, well, I'm off to a meeting with a bad guy, a mobster. <clears throat> I said, be careful. He said, oh, we're not doing drugs or money on this meet. I'm just going to you know, have a conversation with him so it's safe. Don't worry about it, Mike. I got it under control. And Hatch generally did. He had been shot at. Uh, he had served in Vietnam as an officer in the military. If I remember correctly, he had a master's degree. He was just an extraordinary guy. I was proud to call him a close friend. And um, he waved goodbye, walked out the door. He had big hands. And I remember that big hand waving goodbye as he walked out the door. And that was the last time that I would ever see him alive. That night, I was on the phone with a young lady I was dating at the time. I was single back then. And as I was speaking with her, I saw a crawler go across the bottom of my TV screen. I had turned off the sound but left the TV on. And the message that went across the screen was DEA agent shot in Staten Island. I didn't know who they were referring to. I didn't connect the dots until the next morning when I got the word. I was devastated. And everyone at DEA knew that Hatch and I were friends. So Bob Stutman, and there's an article today in the New York Post about it. I suggest you check it out. Bob Stutman, um, when uh, President Bush came to New York, got me a, a seat in the second row where the dignitaries were seated when President George Herbert Walker Bush came to New York um, and had Hatch's wife and his two boys up on stage. I was seated about 10 feet away from President Bush. And as he turned to look at Hatch's widow, I saw tears streaming down George Herbert Walker Bush's face. They, um, he came back to New York, President Bush did. A year or two later, they had a new building dedicated to DEA. And the street in front of DEA headquarters in New York now has Hatch's name on it. And whenever I drive by there on my way into the studios in Manhattan to appear on TV, I see his name. I'm gratified that he was honored. But I will tell you that I'm furious because he died for what I think is a non-existent war on drugs. It's a sham, just like everything else America does today. It's a sham. It's a, it, it, it's, it's a con game. War on drugs. Meanwhile, we're legalizing pot, the drug that people that get hooked on the heavier stuff almost always start with. I know we dealt with a lot of people who were hooked on drugs. They became our informants and cooperators and sources of information. And if you sat down and spoke to them, all of these folks had one common denominator. They all started with marijuana. So that's not to say that anybody who smokes pot is going to use heroin or cocaine or meth. But we are in the midst of the worst drug epidemic, arguably, in the history of the United States. Is this the time to legalize a gateway drug? Is this the way to send a strong message to young Americans about don't take drugs, don't ruin your life, don't develop addictions? You know, literally, sober heads need to prevail. But you're not going to find it among the political elite. All they could think about is taxes. How can we squeeze our constituents and get every last dime out of their pockets? How can we get more money poured into our campaigns? How can we get more money to build monuments to ourselves, bridges and buildings that have our names and these big brass plaques? So there we are like a dog urinating on a tree. They got to leave their, their fetid mark. And they just don't care about the damage they do. I had to mention that today, uh, I spent half my career with the drug task force. I was a DEA intelligence for four years. I was promoted to the position of senior special agent right after that. So I wound up with desks at the FBI, DEA, ATF. I worked with the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. I worked with British Customs, and I did a, quite a bit of work with the Israeli National Police going back to the day that I uncovered a terror plot in Israel when I was given my first fraud investigation as a brand new agent with less than a year in as an agent, which by the way, was a very good learning experience for me and my colleagues about the nexus between immigration and terrorism. But with all the emphasis on drugs and how we know that drugs funds the cartels and the gangs and terrorist organizations, 
And there's my friend Everett Hatcher doing his job, as he always did, gutsy, with integrity, and with class, and an Italian mobster, an American thug, an American piece of garbage by the name of Gus Faraci, shot Hatch in the head multiple times. And I keep asking myself, what are we doing? What are we doing as a country? Why don't we care about our children? Why is it okay that everyone jumps up and down and screams about children from all over the world while we ignore the plight of American children who live in poverty here in America? We're spending more and more money on English as a second language and taking money from programs that would help children who have learning disabilities, kids like my youngest son who, because of early intervention, just graduated with an engineering degree with honors and just got his dream job because of early intervention. His teachers saved his life, as far as I'm concerned. Yes, it was a team effort, my wife and myself and teachers and his physical therapists and, and all the others and, and, and uh, um, occupational therapists and speech therapists, quite a team. And look at the result. And instead of trying to do this for all American kids who are suffering these various learning issues, disabilities, and we're so concerned about disabilities, aren't we? that we're taking money from those programs to teach English as a second language to illegal aliens. And look, I feel bad for children from anywhere in the world who live below the poverty line. But as a parent, I always have put my children ahead of anybody else's kid. And as Americans, we should be concerned most about our fellow Americans before we worry about people from other countries. There's over 7 billion people on the planet, probably half live below the poverty line, the solution to world hunger isn't to bring half of the world's poor to America. All it will do is create more poverty for America and do nothing to change the world. Because if America is weakened, and believe me, we are weakening ourselves, we are the last bastion of freedom for the world. Because waiting in the wings, folks, Iran, China, Russia, terrorist organizations, the world is counting on America. We've become the world's first responder. And we keep weakening ourselves because the politicians who have no moral rudder, who don't give a damn about how many people die or suffer as long as they keep their grip on political power. That's all they care about. Both parties, both parties, don't, don't give me this nonsense. It's the Democrats. It's both parties. This wouldn't have happened if it was only one party. We get a great choice and we go to vote. Heads they win, tails we lose. You go into the voting booth, you have a choice. You want cancer, do you want a heart attack? Those are the choices we've been getting lately. And we finally get a president, and I don't always agree with Trump, and I, I sometimes think his own mouth is his worst enemy, but you finally have a president who understands the need for sovereign borders and at least the concept of putting American workers ahead of other workers. And look at the way he's being attacked. And we foolishly call the wall Trump's wall, and I'm guilty of it, by the way, the wall that he wants to build on the border. Why on earth are we calling it Trump's wall? Uh, I was going to be an aerospace engineer, and I remember as a kid, I was in junior high when JFK, when John F. Kennedy was elected, and he said, I believe this nation should commit itself before this decade is out of landing a man on the moon and returning safely to the earth. And back then, I thought I was going to be an aerospace engineer, and I was so excited. And we went to the moon and I got to meet some of the astronauts and I got to see the last moon launch. But you know what? We never called it the Kennedy moon launch. It was the American moon launch. The wall on the border isn't Trump's wall, folks. It's America's wall to protect American lives. And when we call it Trump's wall, the people that don't like Trump say, aha, we're going to block the wall because it's his wall and we don't like him. That's the danger with making something as personal as it has become. And, and that's why I wish that Donald Trump would, would stop making it all about Donald Trump. I really wish he would because he's on to something. He's got some good ideas. But, you know, when they hold up the signs at the Olympics, you know, execution, not so good. And if you look at the bill that he signed, it cuts the number of beds so that we can't hold on to as many aliens as we did before he signed the budget. And you've got the Koch brothers with their, with their efforts 
to give amnesty to unknown millions of so-called DACA kids who could be as old as 38 years of age now. 38 is not a child. We're being scammed by the left. We're being scammed by the right. We, 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 are, we, are, we are the midst, we're the meat in a crap sandwich is really where we are right now. The left and right are in total collusion on immigration. This fake debate. We're, we can't deport them all, so let's give them lawful status. And so we've gone to a bait and switch. Instead of how do we get rid of them, how do we discourage them, it's, do we give them citizenship or only permission to work? Either way, they're getting what they want, the ability to come here, stay here bring their families here, send money back home. Not good for America. I don't blame them. I don't blame them. They're doing what makes sense. The people who make no sense are the crooks that we elected to political office in America, whether it's sanctuary city mayors and governors or or, or the hoopals that are in Congress right now from both parties. I mean, of course, the Democrats are, are the worst of the worst. But at least they're telling you what they want. They say no more immigration enforcement. And the Republicans say, that's crazy. Meanwhile, we've got 6,000 ICE agents, and half of them aren't even doing immigration work, and that's by design. That's why they created ICE, the C in ICE is Customs. Customs folk has nothing to do with immigration. Before DHS was created, Customs was under the Treasury Department because their focus was collecting duties and tariffs. What the hell does that have to do with immigration? And the answer is nothing, because the Immigration Service was under the Justice Department. Nothing to do with customs. And the way that George W. Bush put it together, he made sure to put people in charge who had zero immigration experience, at least the top of the food chain. Why? To leave the borders open. As John Hostetler had said, he was chairman of the House Immigration Subcommittee and a Republican. He made it clear that what we got from Bush was immigration incoherence, leaving our borders open, our immigration laws unenforceable, And America and Americans vulnerable to terrorists, because when this happened, everybody had already figured it out that 9-11 happened principally because of the failure of the immigration system, not the customs system, not the agriculture system, the immigration system. And what did we do? Weaken it further, dilute it further, make it more dysfunctional, break it into little pieces so that nobody could talk to anybody. George W. Bush erected a wall within the immigration system separating interior enforcement from border enforcement, which is exactly what we should not have done. When I went before Congress right after 9-11, when I testified before the Immigration Reform Caucus in November 2001, I spoke about something that I called the immigration enforcement tripod. I said, you know, the inspectors, the immigration inspectors enforce immigration laws at ports of entry, the border patrol between ports of entry, and the special agents operate within the interior. And we need to emphasize interior enforcement. That's the common denominator. And that's where you could go after the immigration fraud. And that's where you could go after the crooked employers who intentionally hire illegal aliens. And that's how you could go after crooked lawyers, forgive the redundancy, who get involved in arranging marriages. I was involved in the arrest and the prosecution of one such lawyer who was hooking up, believe it or not, Chinese seamen who had jumped ship with Puerto Rican lesbian hookers in New York. And that lawyer wasn't alone. I could go down a list of lawyer after lawyer after lawyer who was doing all kinds of shady dealings. Now, some of them are very good and ethical. I'm not talking about all of them, but there's enough crooks out there practicing immigration law. So the last thing that they wanted was to have agents out there who would discover their treachery. And that's why they keep passing laws, but they don't hire anyone to enforce the law. So they create this illusion that they're on our side. If you think those people are on your side, get serious mental health, you've got issues, big issues. You need a checkup from the neck up. This stuff really infuriates me. It infuriates me. And if you go to my, and so let me, let me just finish this off. So if we really spoke about the truth about immigration and people really understood what it really is about, this wouldn't be the divisive issue that it has become. It absolutely would not ever become a divisive issue because it makes common sense to make certain that you don't let criminals into the country who want to hurt you or your families. Make sure that they don't have diseases. Make sure that they're not terrorists. Make sure that we keep out the drugs and the drug gangs and everybody else. 
but the way that the fake arguments have been mounted. You can't have a civil conversation with our fellow Americans. This used to be something that we took for granted. You'd sit around over a barbecue or over a cup of coffee or a cold beer and have civil conversations. We disagree. That's fine. We're Americans. That's what the First Amendment's about. Try to have a civil conversation today, especially with some radical leftist. Goodness gracious. And increasingly, that's the description for the Democratic Party, the radical leftists. Look at Alexandria. I don't know why anybody's calling her AOC. You know, I know about AOK because the astronauts used to say that going back to Alan Shepard. Everything is all right. AOK. AOC? No, she's not JFK. She's not FDR. She's not Harry S. Truman, HST. I call her the right way. Uh, I, I would refer to her as Alexandria. Alexandria, period. She's our employee. Let's not let her get ahead of herself because she has so much that she doesn't know and doesn't understand and appears to be incapable of understanding. Let's not give her the creds that she's looking for. I actually refer to every elected politician by their first name. It's just the way I am because I'm a tough boss. They are my employees. We don't work for them. They've made us work for them, and that's our own fault. You know, my dad told me when I was growing up as a young boy, He said, Mike, you're going to teach people how they're going to treat you by demonstrating what you're willing to accept. Folks, we've been accepting garbage and letting the thugs get away with it. The Democrats scream about bullies, and they are the bullies. Why are we allowing this? Send them packing. Stand up to them. Stand up to them. And if you look at the way that the propaganda has been spewing It's mind-boggling. I was writing a piece, and if you know the way I write, and I write for Front Page Magazine, I I like to sometimes use a word that we're hearing and then show what the dictionary says and play a game of connect the dots. You know, as I wrote in another article, we'll talk about it in a moment, about shields down by by the Congress with with the emergency measures that the president was implementing with his declaration of an emergency. Uh, I I said, you know, um, they're talking about Constitution. This is, uh, of course, Nancy. Nancy's out there saying, oh, you know, the the Republicans, the president has no respect for the Constitution. Separation of powers. Nancy Pelosi. Brilliant. How about looking at Article 4, Section 4 that promises the states a Republican form of government and protection from invasion and domestic violence? And then I defined what invasion is. So I I went to the dictionary, looked up invasion, and I inserted a definition for invasion to make my case. As I was doing some writing a couple days ago, I decided that I would write about fascism. If you have an Apple computer or can get your hands on an Apple computer or an iPad, go to the dictionary and look up the word fascist. I promise you it will take your breath away. I'm going to read this to you. Now, when they talk about communism, you don't see anything like this. But in fascism, they give you an example of fascism. Let me read this. You're going to be stunned if you haven't seen this. Fascist is a noun, an advocate or follower of the political philosophy or system of fascism. He went to Spain to fight against the fascists. Eastern European fascists could win power only with the support from the Nazis. Well, that's pretty good. I like that. That's fair. That's accurate. That's honest. But now here we go. Fasten your seatbelts, boys and girls. A person who is extremely right-wing or authoritarian, fascists made death threats against immigrants and asylum seekers. Really? Fascists made death threats against immigrants and asylum seekers. When I think of fascism, I think of Benito Mussolini, and I think of Adolf Hitler. These were the fascists of Europe. Nobody was looking for asylum in Italy or Germany during the war. If you want to talk about fascism, how did this suddenly become a discussion about immigration? It is like subliminal advertising. I remember many years ago, there were theories that they were flashing, you know, logos of companies on the screen as you were watching a movie for a car or a soft drink. Boom, you know, they'd, they'd blink it on, and then people would run to the, to the stand, you know, the popcorn stand and order soda because someone had just flashed popcorn or, or, or the, word, the, the, the brand of the soda drink or whatever. 
Well, we have the same kind of in-your-face nonsense here. No matter what the discussion is, somehow we're going to bring it back to immigration. We're going to bring it back to fascists made death threats against immigrants and asylum seekers. Is that the best you can do? This is Orwellian. There is nothing about this that has anything to do with political correctness. This is Orwellian. This is the Ministry of Truth. This is the 24-7 pound you in the head with this thing about immigration constantly. So if you don't like immigrants, and again, we're not talking about immigrants. This is about illegal aliens. You're a fascist. You're a fascist. You're a bad guy. You're a right-wing nut. Because you want secure borders, not to keep everybody out, but to make certain we don't let in people who want to hurt us. And that makes you a fascist. That's how pervasive and perverse this whole business is. It's in your face. It's brainwash. And it doesn't stop. It's 24-7. And that's why I made the point that if we could only sit down with our neighbors and tell them, look, you don't like Donald Trump, that's fine. You don't have to. What about his policies? Do you think we ought to keep terrorists from entering the United States? If you look at the 9-11 Commission report, they were so crystal clear on what needs to be done with immigration law enforcement. Why aren't we talking about it? Why aren't we talking about the hearings that they keep holding about how Hezbollah, a terrorist organization that's funded and directed and trained by Iran, is operating throughout Latin America, working in close coordination with human traffickers, the drug cartels, um, and, and, and drug smuggling so that they can flood America with drugs to destroy us from within, profit from the hundreds of billions of dollars that the drug trade represents, and use the flow of people in the United States in order to send the sleeper agents who are sitting there waiting for that tap on the shoulder, the phone call, the email, the, com- the, the um, notification that tomorrow's the day to carry out an attack. You see, this is what we're really facing. But I looked up the word fascist in my Apple computer, and there we are. A person, extremely right-wing, authoritarian, fascist, made death threats against the immigrants and the asylum seekers. That's how pervasive it is. And there are people that apparently are susceptible to this kind of brainwash, this kind of trash. And then we get to this article that I wrote. And that, by the way, is at Newsmax. So I was very happy to do that. Newsmax frequently has me on their television programs. And so, you know, I I always like to uh, write an occasional article for them and so forth. You know, the the majority of my work, though, is over at FrontPageMag, FrontPageMagazine.com. I I hope you check it out regularly. You know, they do a lot of good stuff there, and I'm very happy to write for them. But I wrote an article, and and before we get to to the the Shields Down article, I I should have put this up today, and I didn't post it in my notice for today's show. But I wrote an article that was published three days ago, February 26th. Sanctuary cities support corporate welfare. And they put up this photograph of Alexandria. Um, And so Alexandria was ranting and raving about – Amazon not coming to Queens because they didn't like the way they were being, you know, branded in the media, all this hostility. And some people responded and said, oh, but they're going to bring jobs. Look, a $3 billion tax deal. And by the way, Alexandria is so dopey. You know, I, I know she worked behind the bar and she's working with people who pass the bar. I think she's having a problem understanding passing the bar doesn't mean that someone walked by the the place where she was working. That's a different way of passing the bar. Some of these people are lawyers, Andrea, if you're smart enough to figure this one out. So, um, you know, but she worked behind the bar and didn't pass the bar unless she didn't go to work that day. Uh, So Alexandria is there saying, oh, well, if they don't get the $3 billion tax cut, we could use the money to build up the subways. A tax cut isn't money in your hand, but I mean, this is why she's so brilliant. And she's the leader of the green movement. I guess the Democrats are going to get rid of their old um, uh, mascot, the, the, the jackass. See, it used to be called the donkey. I, I call the Democrat mascot the jackass. So they're going to get rid of the, the jackass and replace it with what, Kermit the Frog, because he's green? Uh, is that the way we're headed? So she's screaming about, oh, we have all this money now. No, it doesn't work that way. 
But when she called it corporate welfare, as I said in my article, even a broken clock is right every 12 hours. It is corporate welfare. What disturbs me is they were cutting backroom deals, which leaves the door wide open to corruption, cronyism, crony capitalism. It's one thing if New York said, well, we want companies to move to New York. We'll reduce corporate taxes by 10% or whatever. And I'm not sure that I like that either, but I understand that we're competing with other cities and other states. And okay, I see it. But a backroom deal that they cut just for Amazon, that they wouldn't do for someone else is wrong. That's how you get corruption. I believe it is corporate welfare. And the bigger problem, though, is that the biggest form of corporate welfare, and by the way, as this is going on with this corporate welfare, they're going to implement congestion pricing in Midtown Manhattan so that if you drive into Midtown and it's like Obamacare, you're not going to know how much the cost is going to be until they sign the bill. I kid you not. Boy, is this not like the tactics of Obamacare. Rumor has it it'll be 12, 12.50, who knows. For the privilege of driving into congested midtown Manhattan, and why is it congested? Because New York is a sanctuary city that has attracted hundreds of thousands, if not a million people who shouldn't even be here. If you got rid of the million people, there wouldn't be any more congestion. This is kind of like paying Tony Soprano for, for protection so he doesn't throw bricks through your windows or his boys don't, Okay congestion pricing and cab drivers that have been committing suicide because they were really shafted. Whatever happened to the concerns about the little guy, you know, a medallion for a New York city cab just a couple years ago was a million dollars. I don't think you could unload one of those suckers for a hundred thousand today. So imagine you're into, you're up to your eyeballs in debt to pay a million dollars for a medallion. And then you have to buy a car and then you have to get insurance and they're paying off a loan And if they want to cash out the medallion, they can't get a tenth for it of what it was worth because of Uber and Lyft and all these other car services. These are all backstabbing tactics of the politicians. And so now, in addition to all their other expenses, when when one of these cab drivers has to drive into midtown Manhattan, apparently they're going to have to pay for, for the privilege of driving in traffic also. How is that going to help their bottom line? It doesn't make any sense. So Alexandria says this is corporate welfare. And it is. But there's a much bigger, more insidious, and more pervasive form of corporate welfare that nobody talks about. And it's the displacement of American workers by foreign workers, by illegal aliens at the bottom rung of the economic ladder, and high-tech workers with bogus H-1B visas and so forth. Jim Sensenbrenner, who chairs the House Immigration Subcommittee, or used to before the Republicans lost control of the House, and they know Jim Sensenbrenner, he was the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee and invited me to testify at that hearing right after 9-11 about how two of the dead terrorists could get permission to go to flight school six months after 9-11. So the world knew they were dead and knew they were terrorists, but the old INS, incompetent and inept as it was, Um, through the company that they employed to send out letters of notification, said to to the flight school, yeah, these two guys can go to your school. He looked at it and said, what the hell are they doing? These guys are dead. They're terrorists. And he notified Congress. And he was a German citizen. I sat next to him at the hearing. This was the guy that owned the flight school in Florida, where Mohammed Atta and Marwan al-Shehi were authorized to train after they were dead. Unreal. And Sensenbrenner made the same point. Look, it's okay to bring in highly skilled special workers from outside the United States if we have a true lack. But he said, that's not what's happening. This has just become a way to drive down wages of Americans and destroy, destroy opportunities for American workers. He gets it. But Alexandria doesn't. Maybe she lingered too, too long at the bar after hours. So she doesn't seem to get that that's why we need ICE, and she wants to get rid of ICE. If we get rid of ICE, no employer will have anything to fear from immigration if they hire illegal aliens. Human traffickers will have nothing to fear. Gang members will have nothing to fear. And Alexandria tells us that she's on our side. Really? This is how you represent America or Americans? Truly remarkable. Truly remarkable. The, the, <laughs> 
I'm telling you, I, I, I watch this, folks, and I sputter because most Americans don't get it. They don't get it. The reason the immigration system is failing is because the politicians want it to fail. You know, the, the thing too big to fail, the banks, well, this was designed to fail, failure by design, because the immigration system is a delivery system that delivers an unlimited supply of cheap, exploitable labor, foreign tourists, foreign students, and for the wonderful immigration lawyers who are out there, especially the politicians, people like Bob Goodlatte, who went from chairman of the House Judiciary Committee back to the swamp that he came from, immigration law practice, an unlimited supply of clients for immigration law firms. That's why they keep telling us we can't deport them also. We've got to give them lawful status. It's not about getting them out of the shadows, boys and girls. It's about getting them into the waiting rooms of law firms. Why would they bother going to the law firm if you have sanctuary cities? Immigration's not going to bother them. So you have to convince them, well, but if you could go and get legal status, you know, and by the way, comprehensive reform, because we know these aliens don't have much money. Guess who would have paid for the lawyers under comprehensive immigration reform? The media didn't talk about this, but you and I would have. Because money was being set aside in the federal budget to pay the legal fees for the illegal aliens. Not aliens who come legally. No, no, no. They got to pay. Not you or I if we go to our accountant to get the taxes done. No, we have to pay. But illegal aliens would have gotten free lawyers, not because we're worried about the illegals. People say, oh, they were pandering to the illegal aliens. And I laugh. How naive can you be? You don't pander to the powerless. It's worthless. This was done because the lawyers hate to work for free. That's why the legal fees would have been paid for under comprehensive immigration reform so that the lawyers get paid. And if Uncle Sam pays it, then there's no problem. You don't have to get bill collectors. You just put in your paperwork and Uncle Sam sends you a check. What a wonderful deal that we were arranging for immigration lawyers from both sides of the aisle. <clears throat> so now the president says, we have a crisis on the border. Well, we do. So how did we wind up with a crisis on the border? Well, we wound up with a crisis on the border because we know that um, right now the, the real problem that we have are the drugs that are pouring into the United States. That's wherein lies the problem. We have narcotics flooding into America. We have terrorists and criminals flooding into America. There's been a succession of hearings that have been all about what we're facing on the border. I've written a whole series of articles for Front Page Magazine about this. And so I wrote an article, and after you listen to my show today, I hope you'll go to frontpagemag.com, check out my article. They just posted it this morning. Congress orders shields down by blocking emergency declaration. And then the subtitle, Willfully Ignoring Threats to National Security. So, um, you know, I, I, as I mentioned before, I cited the Constitution, Article 4, Section 4, the United States shall guarantee to every state in this union a Republican form of government and shall protect each of them against invasion. And on application of the legislature or the executive, when the legislature cannot be convened, against domestic violence. I do believe that's what we're experiencing. Gang violence, the drugs, terrorism, invasion. And if you have any doubts, here's the definition for invasion. An incursion by a large number of people or things into a place or sphere of activity or an unwelcome intrusion into another's domain. I think that that aptly describes what we have on our border. By the way, it's not just the Mexican border. You know, I, I want to be clear. If we built a wall from, you know, one end of the border to the other, and it was 100 feet high and was electrified, it wouldn't by itself solve the problem of immigration. It's an element of what needs to be a unified, coherent system. We're a country of 50 border states. So I compare a wall on the border to a wing on an airplane. Without the wing, the airplane doesn't fly, but a wing by itself goes nowhere. So you have the Democratic Party saying, well, we'll give you money for drones. We'll give you less money for the, for the wall. And by the way, you're going to agree to fewer beds in the detention facilities. Why? Are they really trying to secure the border or enforce law? No. That made it pretty clear what they're saying is we're not going to do anything that works. 
we not only have a problem with catch and release on the Mexican border, everybody by now has heard the term catch and release. The Border Patrol arrests the guy, and there's no room to hold him, so they release him, and he disappears into the woodwork. Well, that's been happening forever with immigration agents around the country. I can't tell you, and I testified about this before Congress, how many times you would arrest a bunch of illegal aliens and we wouldn't have enough detention space for all of them. So then the bosses that we worked for would, would listen to our stories about how far this guy ran and did he engage in a fist fight and did he have fake ID and did he lie about who he was. And the guys that had the worst stories were the ones that got detained and the rest were cut loose, never to be seen again. So we've had catch and release within the interior, but nobody talks about the interior. Immigration has always been a discussion about the Mexican border. I have no idea why, except perhaps so that people who don't live in the four so-called border states think it doesn't involve them. Meanwhile, and we have no idea how many illegals are here, okay? These numbers are are bogus. They're make-believe numbers. But nevertheless, in terms of the acknowledged numbers of illegal aliens, New York City has the greatest number of illegal aliens of any city in the country. And how far are we from the Mexican border? We are a country of 50 border states, but we desperately need the wall. We need more agents. We need more of everything, and we're getting nothing. And so when, on the day that Congress voted to block the declaration of emergency by the president, this was February 27th. It's uh, February 26th, I'm going to guess. One moment. Yes, February 26th was when Congress voted. Something else happened on February 26th. When I started speaking with you today, I talked about the anniversary of the murder of my friend Everett Hatcher, the DEA agent. February 26th is a day that is also has an historic component, a horrible component. It was the anniversary of the first bombing of the World Trade Center in 1993, February the 26th. Six people were killed, over a thousand people injured. Roughly a half billion dollars in damages were inflicted on the tower. It almost fell down into the other tower. Could you imagine what the casualty count would have been If one tower, 110 floors high, over 1,400 feet tall, it was a vertical city. Imagine if it had toppled into the other tower and brought everything down. The seawall that separates the the, um, Hudson River from Lower Manhattan would have been breached. Lower Manhattan would have been flooded. Uh, God only knows. You could have had 100,000 dead bodies, maybe more. I, I don't even know what the numbers would look like. It would look like a bad movie, a very bad movie, but it would have been reality. And the Clinton administration did less than nothing in response to it. The point of the matter is that on the anniversary of the first bombing of the World Trade Center, what do we have? We have Congress voting down measures to protect America's national security. And on the same day that we were acknowledging that anniversary, you had first responders from the city of New York going to Washington and begging that the Zadruga bill be extended. For those of you who aren't familiar with the Zadruga bill, and if you're not from New York, maybe you're not, Zadruga was the name of a New York City police officer who is believed to be the first one to die because of the toxins that he was exposed to when the towers collapsed. Over 10,000 people, let that, let that number sink in, Over 10,000 people have been treated for illness related to the collapse of the towers. So when we hear the comparison, 3,000 killed on 9-11, 3,000 killed at Pearl Harbor, December 7th, 1941, that's roughly equal. And by the way, that happened at the hands of 19 young hijackers on 9-11. The casualty count at Pearl Harbor was the result of the Japanese fleet. So understand that every time an alien enters the United States, we're providing terrorists with that opportunity of getting it right. Remember, they used to say to succeed, the terrorists only got to be right once. And for us to be safe, we've got to be right 100 percent of the time. Every alien who enters the United States provides terrorist organizations with that single opportunity that they're so desperate to have. So we've had people going to Washington saying we need more money. They're running out of money. 
And I think already $6 billion, $6 billion was spent, more than they want for the wall. Yes, I know some wise guy is going to jump up and say, well, none of those hijackers came across the Mexican border. And you know what? You'd be right. But we also know from the hearings, and I've written about it, please check out my articles at Front Page Mag. We know that there is a serious problem in Latin America with terrorists, the cartels, and people moving into the United States. You look at the caravans. You look at how many people are applying for asylum. The great majority of the people who apply for asylum aren't really eligible. They do it as a tactic to be released. And now that the Democrats cut down on the number of beds, more will be released. The system will more easily be overflowing. This is an invasion by any person's definition. And we're being told that there's nothing to see here, folks. Keep walking. There's no crisis here. The president made it up. Did the president organize the caravans? Did the president create the attacks of 1993 at the CIA by Cansey and then a month later the bombing at the World Trade Center? I mean, I know they'd like to blame it on Trump. They blame the, they'll probably blame Trump if it snows this weekend. But understand that the threats are real and the casualty count is real. The loss of life is real. The violence is real. The drugs are real. The loss of hundreds of billions of dollars in money, money wired out of the country by workers who shouldn't be here, and the drug trade, the hundreds of billions that are involved with that, are draining the American economy and contribute mightily to the growing national debt that we now face, $23 trillion last time I counted. The wall would pay for itself. Nobody wants to talk about that. I've written about it. Insulation on your house pays for itself by lowering your heating bill. After a couple of years, insulation pays for itself. You pay less for fuel oil or gas or electric, however you heat your house, and that savings represents the money that was spent on the insulation. And once you hit the break-even point, everything after that is gravy. If we could secure the border and put a sizable enough dent in the drug trade and the human trafficking, the wall could pay for itself in one or two years at most. But nobody wants to spend the money. It's not the money, folks. They want drones because drones don't work. There's been so many GAO studies that say that drones are utterly worthless, but they cost hundreds of millions of dollars. Why then do the Democrats want the drones? It's a magic act. It's the magician who promises to cut the lady in half, knowing damn well that he better not hurt a hair on her head um, if he doesn't want to go to jail and, and never have anyone ever work with him again. The politicians know that the people that bribe them, that is to say give them campaign contributions, want open borders. They also know what the Americans want. So they create an illusion that they're giving you what you want. We're putting drones on the border. And the average American says, wow, drones on the border. The military uses those things. This is terrific. Drones are worthless. They've been involved in fewer than one half of 1% of all Border Patrol arrests. Helicopters with agents on board, believe it or not, are much cheaper, far more effective. But this is all after the fact, because once the aliens are in the United States and the patrol catches them, what do they do? They yell credible fear, political asylum, and they wind up, most of them, getting released. And that's what the Democrats want. Why? Because if you release them, they're in the wind, and the lawyers get paid to help them at least initially, and then they scatter, and they're here. And this isn't just about importing cheap labor. I'm going to keep saying it every time that I do my program, every time I appear anyway, because I want you to get it through your heads. Republicans are dopey, greedy people because all they want to talk about is the Democrats simply want the votes. They're importing the votes. That's dopey because all you're thinking about probably is the cheap labor. That's all they hear. The Democrats want the votes and the Republicans want the cheap labor. There's something far more insidious going on, folks. Flooding America with foreign third world labor drives down wages. It's supply and demand, and it's what third world workers are accustomed to. So this is becoming the new norm. Let's say somebody who is in a particular high-tech industry, programmer, whatever, under certain circumstances, let's say worth 150000 a year, someone from India will work for 60000 a year. That becomes the new norm. So the salaries are getting slashed. Americans can't support themselves. I just saw a commercial on TV. If you see it, it'll send chills down your spine, shivers down your spine. 
it was a website where, believe it or not, you can purchase used clothing. This is in America. And they made it look glamorous and glitzy. Flashes of fabric floating in the air and music. And, oh, it's so exciting. You can buy used clothing. There's another website called Turo, T-U-R-O. So you can use an app to rent your neighbor's car. How desperate do you have to be to rent out your family car to a complete stranger? Or for you, how desperate do you have to be to want to rent some guy's car? You have no idea who the hell the guy is or if the car is going to break down in the middle of nowhere. But you can rent your neighbor's car. America is well on its way to being a third world country. The crooks are cashing us out. And bringing in foreign workers is speeding the process. And once enough Americans are driven into enough economic chaos, they're going to be permanent Democratic voters. And these are the Americans who were born here. If you think it's a luxury to turn on your lights at night when you come home from work, I guarantee you, you're going to vote for the Democrats because they're going to promise to subsidize your electric bill. The Republicans won't. The Democrats will. And you're pushing American voters to the left, whether you believe it or want to believe it. That's what we're doing. My dad was a smart guy. He was a tradesman, eighth grade education, but he was brilliant. There's a difference between being smart and being educated. My pop was smart, as was my mom. I've met my share of dopey PhDs, especially the ones that practice economics. God help us all. My dad said, Mike, if you want to turn a capitalist into a communist, take away his money. And if you want to make a communist into a capitalist, give him a million dollars. If you take the money away from American voters, you're going to push them to the left. It's not just the foreign voters who are coming in, the aliens, and we're going to give them citizenship, or maybe they're going to vote illegally, and that does happen. I can assure you it does happen. But... Besides that, the bigger issue is tens of millions of Americans can't make ends meet. Tens of millions of Americans right now don't have more than, in in the bank, more than maybe a month's worth of pay, if that much. Some people are living literally hand to mouth. They buy their last hamburger as their check is arriving, which is why when the government shut down, so many workers were in dire straits. Not all, but enough. Who do you think these folks are going to vote for as it gets worse? And as we bring in more foreign workers, because the borders are wide open, and remember, the Republicans want to quadruple or or, or even bring in more H-1B visas than ever before, where do you think that's going to lead us economically? Down the tubes. Down the tubes. We keep doing this, and that's why the Democrats are yelling about socialism, because they are creating poverty. And if you're poor, you become a socialist. If you flood America with foreign workers, all the workers become poorer. So they're pushing America to socialism. And too many Republicans don't see it. They keep talking about the foreign people coming in and voting, ignoring what's right under their nose, that Americans are being forced to the left by the shrinking purchasing power of the average American family. That's reality, folks. Please think about what is going on. Please get involved. Uh, You know, I'm happy to provide you with this information. I've been at this ever since 9-11. I have children. I have grandchildren. I'm fearful for their future. And that's sad. This is America. I love this country. I owe America my life, my children's lives, and my grandchildren's lives. Because if America hadn't admitted my mother at the age of 13 before the Holocaust, she wouldn't have survived, and I wouldn't have been born, and all those who came from me wouldn't be here now. America is a unique country in all of history. We certainly need to work together as Americans to preserve it. We need to have rational, logical, fact-driven, fact-based discussions with our neighbors. Sit down with them. We really need to be better at communicating with our neighbors to get them to understand what's really at stake. Don't make it about Donald Trump. Just make it about what's happening. I promise you the facts, the law, common sense, and morality are all on our side. Please get involved. Democracy is not a spectator sport, and we all need to participate. 
that's the work that all Americans must do. I thank you for joining me. I hope you'll check out the articles at Newsmax and at FrontPageMag.com or go to my website, MichaelCutler.net. Please be part of my Bucket Brigade of Truth and tell your friends and neighbors about this program, my website, and the articles that I've been writing. And I hope you have a great weekend. I look forward to seeing you again next week right here at the same time on the Michael Cutler Hour. Good night. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.